0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: I noticed that there were some visitors today and we're always blessed to have visitors join us. And If one is not familiar uh, with the readings that take place in the week, in the Jewish slash Messianic Jewish community, you probably noticed in the inside of our communique here that this week's Torah portion is called Terumah, which means offering. Hence, the songs that we sang today had to do, in fact, one of them was even named offering, had to do with the theme, uh, thematically connected to the the uh, readings that are taking place throughout the Jewish, much of the Jewish world right now. And th- this Torah portion was very interesting. And I, I usually ask this in Shabbaton, but I'm going to do it here today. How many of you read the Torah portion this week? I am impressed. Very good. Uh, we are not having Shabbaton today, but I'm impressed that you read the Torah portion. In this Torah portion, is we as we begin, the Torah portion begins in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verse 1. And it picks up the, the story, the history, the narrative of the Jewish people of Israel coming out of Egypt. And by this time in Exodus, chapter 25, the Jewish people have come out of Egypt. They've been led forward. In Exodus chapter 20, the Aser Tadibroth, the 10 statements, words, the 10 commandments were given. And then a series of other, how would you say it, Mishpatim laws, regulations are also given afterwards. And then we come to this very, what I think a very interesting section of Torah, which is called Terumah, which has to do with offering. Now, when we think about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, uh, if we go all the way back, we realize there were 10 plagues that were involved. And I want you to recall with me, please, and we'll read it here in just a moment, uh, what happened with the 10th plague, the 10th plague. And let's pick up the narrative in the 10th plague in Exodus chapter 12, beginning with verse 29, just to refresh your memory. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then Pharaoh called for Moshe and Aharon, for Moses and Aaron, by night, and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, And then he says this, and I think it's interesting, and bless me also. (laughs) And verse 33 is an intriguing verse. It continues after Pharaoh says, go, get out of here, take everything with you. Uh, And by the way, bless me as you're going. And then verse 33 says, and the Egyptians urged the people, the common Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians." First of all, what a scene the 10th plague is. What a scene. And I want to encourage you. You heard the uh, announcement that uh, Donna gave about Pesach, Passover, Passover Seder. If you haven't signed up for the community, I really urge you to do that. Because we will go through all this history using the Haggadah, the Haggadah. And we'll go through all the history of the 10 plagues and and the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And we'll commemorate it. But this 10th plague, I know... We can think about each of the ten plagues and and the ones that are most frightening, but this tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, smote all of Egypt. Now there was a precursor of warning with the ninth plague of Choshech of darkness, where it says there there was darkness in all of Egypt, but there was light in the house of the Israelites. And this 10th plague, though, there was wailing throughout Egypt as each family was touched by the loss of the firstborn. There was wailing throughout Egypt, and and the the midnight lights, the oil lamps were on in Pharaoh's residence because he too was touched by this plague. And you can imagine Pharaoh's advisors, if you read the prior portions, when it came to the various plagues, at times Pharaoh asked his advisors, what do we do? How do you respond to this? What shall we do? And how do you respond? What could his advisors say? They couldn't say anything. They were mourning themselves. They were in anguish over the very loss of their own firstborn. Virtually all the households of Egypt were touched by this plague. What advice could they give Pharaoh in their suffering and in their pain? And then on the other side, the children of Israel. We're not told so much what the children of Israel went through at that point, but we know this, there was probably this great sense of anticipation, this great feel of hope, something's happening, this is, there's been nine other plagues, this tenth one is, is just incredible. Incredible. What's God going to do? Is this the time? Will we be free now for sure? Because there had been that hope of freedom, that hope that Pharaoh would let them go, as Moses had said to Pharaoh, let my people go. There was the hope of that. And yet we read, as we just read this passage that I read here for us, as we read Pharaoh's response to the 10th plague, and we read the response of the common Egyptians to the 10th plague. And let me point out again one particular section that we just read from the Sefer Shemoth, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 31, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. And when this 10th plague hit, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron. And he said, again, recall, rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. And go serve the Lord as you have said, go. And also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. (laughs) But there was a second part of this, and it's in verse 33. A little bit of a focus for us here today. And the Egyptians, meanwhile, all that was happening in Pharaoh's area, but there was something happening on the level of common Egyptians. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. There was a fear that it would go beyond just the firstborn and permeate, this, this plague, this 10th plague would permeate to all the household and all the members of the household. And the Egyptians and some of them, probably most of them, had experienced the previous nine plagues to one degree or the other. They wondered, where's this leading to, this 10th pl- plague? Now, there's one way to characterize characterized the actions of both Pharaoh and the common Egyptian that we read about in Scripture that we just read. They were acting under, how can I say this, compulsion. <laughs> Pharaoh still thought he had the final say in this matter. He, he, he summons Moses and says, yeah, go, get out of here, take everything, your flocks. Pharaoh still thought he had the final say. So, he is going to let them go for his own self, and, and you know, that's proven his own self-interest uh, because he says, and bless me too. And the, the, the Egyptians, the Egyptians, meanwhile, were under another form of compulsion, the common Egyptians, because they urged the Israelites, as we just read, they urged the Israelites to, to, that they should go out from the land, Go. Why? Because they said, we're going to die. We're afraid we're going to die. Now, this turn of events is even more remarkable when you think of what transpired years prior. This event, this 10th plague, and these repercussions of it, and the ramifications of it, are rooted in something that had happened previously. And you probably recall that Moshe as a fugitive fled to the land of Midian. There he meets his future wife, Sipora <laughs> and his father-in-law, Yitro, Jethro. And that becomes a major relationship for him, a positive relationship for him. But during that time of interacting and, and coming to find his wife, Sipora, and interacting with Yitro, Jethro... There's an event that's well known throughout the whole world, and that's called the Burning Bush event. How many of you've heard of the Burning Bush event? It's an incredible, incredible, event, where God appeared to Moses out in the in the uh, the desert area, and speaks to him through a burning bush. And it was a burning bush in which the bush was not consumed. And I've read various scientific explanations about this. None of them, frankly, hold water. I think the only thing that really holds water is God did a miraculous thing, got Moshe's attention, and glory be to the God of heaven and earth. And he got Moshe's attention. And here's what happened, again, to remind you in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. God speaks to him through the burning bush. This is before the plagues. He says, I know that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go. He will not let you go except by a mighty hand. Verse 20 of Exodus chapter 3. God speaks to Moses at the time of the burning bush, and he says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do in the midst of it. After that... (laughs) He will let you go. (laughs) Then I shall grant these people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, so it will happen that when they go, you will not leave empty-handed. Remember, this is Exodus chapter 3. Before the place, God's foretelling to Moses what's going to happen. So it will happen that when you go, you will not leave empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and a woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing. Please notice the next statement. You will put them on your sons and your daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. You will put them on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. It's curious to me, and there's no explanation given... That he's commanded Moses at the time of the burning bush, he's, he says, Every woman is to ask her neighbor and woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and clothing. What a task that was. What an entrusting that was. God, who knew exactly what all that material would be for, who does he ask to do it? The women. The women. And I want to express appreciation to the many women of God in this congregation. And you know, I want to go beyond that. In the whole body of Messiah, who are faithful servants of the Lord, I'm so appreciative. And you know, I was reading how women impacted Yeshua's ministry. In Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, we're told... Soon afterwards, Yeshua began traveling throughout towns and villages. And understand what He's doing. He's going throughout towns and villages. He's not traveling in an air-conditioned bus. He's not flying Archea or, or Ryanair or any of those airlines to get from one place to the other. He's traveling from town and village with His sandals on and His feet dirty and needing food and needing rest and needing all those things. He's traveling Throughout towns and villages, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It says the twelve are also with him. <laughs> but then there's verse two. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Miriam, the one called Magdalene, out of whom seven demons had gone, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's finance minister, Susanna and many others, and then there's this statement, they were supporting them out of their own resources. There were women alongside throughout this whole ministry of Yeshua who were there supporting the work of the ministry through their own resources. And we see a parallel going all the way back in the book of Exodus chapter 3 where God foretells. He tells Moses, have the women ask the women and the Egyptians around them for gold, silver, jewelry, and clothing. And in some ways at that time, <laughs> when Moses is told to, to, that the women are to ask that, the women at that time were, were in bondage to those very Egyptians around them. But there's a subtle thing here that I think we need to grasp is they actually did what they were told. They did what they were told. They asked the Egyptians around them and God had promised, He said that He would give them favor when they did that. They asked the Egyptians around them and hence we get to this week's parashat Terubah, which means an offering. And where were they going to get out in the desert something to offer up that would end up building the the Mikdash? sanctuary. and the tabloid. Where would they get these things? Out in the desert. If they had disobeyed, if those women had disobeyed back in Egypt while they were in slavery, had disobeyed what God had told them to do through Moses, they would have been lacking when it came time to build the mikdash, the sanctuary. This week's Torah portion, it's called Terima, deals with that it deals with the fact, and it's a subtlety. It's, it's underneath the text. It's, it's there you have to look back to Exodus chapter 3 to realize that there was a whole group of obedient Israelite women who actually did go to the Egyptian women around them and ask them for gold. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing. And God gave them favor, and the Egyptians relinquished that stuff, those valuables, And again, not to overstate it, but it's so important. If the women had not obeyed that original command when they got out into the desert, it was time to build that beautiful tabernacle, the mikdash, the sanctuary, where the Lord's presence would come upon, they would have lacked the materials to do it. And there's even more miraculous side to this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 22, again, every woman is to ask her neighbor... And the woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and clothing, you will put them on your sons and your daughters. So you will plunder the Egyptian. Not only were they to ask for this, and, and the Lord would give favor so they received it, but it says a very specific commandment, you're to put that silver and jewelry and the gold, what do you do with it? You put it on your sons and your daughters. And this, quest, this passage brings forward a question. It's an interesting question. Did the children of Israel, when deliverance finally came, did they leave Egypt dressed and looking like downtrodden? Or did they look like the victorious ones? You are to put them on your sons and your daughters. But there's more to this. Hence this week's Torah portion. As we see in the exodus from Egypt, as we look at it carefully, and as we see in the ministry of Yeshua, those women who came alongside, and and, and frankly, even now in the body of Messiah, women are key to the furtherance of the gospel throughout the world. Obedient women. Obedient women. God's delivering power can change the course of lives. And these women who obeyed through their action, they changed the course and the flow of the whole Yetziatmi tribe to go out from Egypt. Now, as we trust in Yeshua here today, and I pray everyone hearing these words is a faithful follower of Yeshua. As we trust, trust in our Messiah, He is wanting to transform us to be obedient men and women, doing His will, obeying Him, And I'm convinced, the more I think about it, the more I study this, I'm convinced that the children of Israel not only left Egypt as freed men and women, but they left Egypt with victory. And when we get to Exodus chapter 15, (laughs) and Miriam, the sister of Moses, gets her tambourine out, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are cast into the sea. And they start singing and dancing to me. That's a dance of victory. That's a sign of victory. Those are freed men and women glorifying the Lord. And what are we to be as we are freed from the bondage of sin, the Egypt of this world? How should we be? We should be victorious people in the Messiah. We should be rejoicing and giving Him glory for all that He has done for us. Sure, we can't maybe, maybe we can't always theologically explain it all. But you know what? If you've given your life to the Lord, you've been nolal mechadash, you've been born again through faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, a great transformation has taken place in your life. And how many of you can honestly say when you look back in your life now, some of us longer, some of us shorter, when you look back in your life, you can say that God has been transforming me as a person. I'm not the same I used to be. All the former things have passed away, as it says in 2 Corinthians. Behold, new things have come. And when the children of Israel left Egypt, new things came to them in places they didn't expect. Even as when Moses, as a prototype of the ultimate going forth, the Yetziot Bitzvah, I'm going forth from Egypt, as Moses went preliminary, he went before, and a tremendous transformation happened in Moses' life. And one of the key points was the burning bush event. And it was there at the burning bush event that God foretold to Moses what was going to happen. Was every detail told to Moses? No. Is every detail told to you about your life and what's going on inside of you and uh, what what your future may hold for you? Is every detail told to you as you walk with the Lord? No, it's not. If it is, please come afterwards and pray for me because I'd like to know a little more. It's not, but you can be sure of this. If you walk in obedience with the Lord, He will guide you firmly with His strong hand. And with His great love, He will continue to transform your life through the shed blood of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, who gave His life for you because you are of value to Him. So the children of Israel, after the women had obeyed, almost, almost like, how would the Egyptians, why would the Egyptians even give us their silver and gold? We're slaves, they're free. But they did, because God gave them favor as they made that request. And that brings us to this week's Torah portion. Shemot, Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. They left Egypt as freed people. And I believe victoriously, <laughs> if you get the picture, even their children with gold and silver and new clothes, they walk out. And then Exodus 25 verse 1 occurs. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Without the prior events, what would they have had to bring? Bring me an offering. And then it continues. Speak to the children that, that they bring me an offering. And then this is the key, and it remains the key for about every spiritual event in our life from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take, and what does he call? He says, My offering. You shall take my offering. And then it's not just about the offering. Notice the next statement in verse eight. It continues and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Veasuli mikdash, ve'shechanti betocham. It says in Hebrew, "Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." Receive the offering because there's going to be a building to do, something to build, and it's going to be a sanctuary for the very presence of the Lord among them. Ve'shechanti betocham. It says that I may dwell among them. Now the rest is history. You realize amazingly, the children of Israel, spearheaded by the women of faith who asked their Egyptians, (laughs) Egyptian women around them for their gold and silver clothing, spearheaded previously by women of faith, the children of Israel willingly parted with their material windfall that they had plundered from the Egyptians. You know how hard it is. Think this through, my friends. Have you ever been possessive about a material thing? <laughs> Have you ever really set your affections on something material? Where if the Lord said, give it up, you might not want to do it. <laughs> We have Father Abraham who willingly, he was willing to sacrifice his son Abraham as an example. We have Yeshua who willingly laid down his life for you and me today. And the children of Israel there, there's so many negative things said about them, and rightfully in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about the temptation and the criticizing and the complaining, the kvetching that was going on. But in this case, spearheaded by women of faith, generous women of faith, They were willing to let go, willing to let go of these material things that glittered. That glittered. Nowadays, they call it the bling. Let go of the bling. Get rid of it. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 36. After the Lord told Moshe to have the children of Israel uh, to bring an offering to him, my offering, he says, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering and let them make me a sanctuary that may dwell among them. Here's what happened a little bit later according to Exodus, Exodus chapter 36, verse 6. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying... (laughs) This is a little bit later. After the command to receive the offering, the Lord's offering, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed much more. This translates that there were many willing hearts, both men and women, who are willing to sacrificially offer their true ma, their free will offering, from a willing heart for the work of the Lord, and they did it. Eventually, by the end of the book of Exodus, as we continue reading through the Torah portions, we'll realize that at the, at the end of Exodus, they will dedicate that very thing that they've been creating. And Kavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord, will fall on that like a cloud. And all this will still go all the way back to obedient women. And as this text says in Exodus 36, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary and the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. And together they built. Now, not to be outdone, the new covenant, the Brit Hadashah, explains in in kind of a principle way. And aren't you thankful for the principles of God's Word? How many of you are thankful for the principles and truths of God's Word? I am. But Rapshul, Paul the Apostle, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to Torah understanding, blameless, deeply trained in Torah teaching. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 it says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. And here's the next verse is a great connector back to what we just read in Exodus. And I have this sneaky suspicion, this hunch that Robshell knew the Exodus portion very well. And verse 7, it says, Let each one give as he has decided where in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that by always having enough of everything, you may overflow in every good work. Principally, this connects back to what we read in Exodus. Exodus that amazing work of God to, to, to have them ask the Egyptian women for their gold and silver and their clothing and, and the favor of God that was upon them where the Egyptian women actually relinquished and gave those things to them. And then the integrity behind it as they, they possessed this gold and silver and the clothing, they didn't consider it their own. And when the time came to contribute and build something for the kingdom, they relinquished it, and I think That's amazing. That's incredible that they were willing to let it go. In fact, they, their children had to, had it on. They probably had to take it right off of them and to give it. Now, I want to conclude here with, these, with several more thoughts, if I might. The children of Israel, redeemed from Egypt, led by the Lord to the promised land, they initially, in this instance, set a great example for us. Now, we here in America, we are a very wealthy nation. Many of you have traveled in other places of the world. You've, you have a little bit of a comparison there. This is a, a nation with, with means, with wealth, and our, our gross domestic product, our GDP, is way up in the stratosphere. And I was just reading that just the, the, uh, the gross domestic product of the state of California is greater than all of Russia's gross domestic product that's one state one big state so we're a a nation with with wealth but over the years I've heard this little bit of a hint being uh, proclaimed out there in the spiritual airwaves that has compared the United States of America with the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation it's an interesting thought And let me remind you what the Lord eventually told the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. And you you figure out, you figure out, does, does this apply? Again, in principle, does this apply? What happened with the Laodiceans, does it apply to Americans in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16? So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich. I have made myself wealthy, and I need nothing. But you do not know that you are miserable and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. Verse 18 is some advice, some divine advice to the loud desaians. Yeshua speaking said, I advise you to buy from me, me, Yeshua. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white clothes so that you may dress yourself. And so the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And then very, very importantly, an eye salve, buy eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The implication here, one of them, is that, yeah, Laodiceans, they were doing great. And historically, they were. It's a wealthy city. Historically, they were doing great. They were a wealthy city back then in the first century. (laughs) But they were a wealthy city that was blind, spiritually blind. I pray that doesn't happen in our nation. That spiritual blindness continued to overtake us that we would have leaders that would point us in the right direction and that we would pray that the Lord would place the right leaders in governmental positions. And again, this is not a partisan statement. For as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter which party, as long as they're following God, so be it. Anoint your eyes so that you may see. Yes, things, you're, you're. I am rich. I have made myself wealthy, you're saying but you are blind. Can I use the colloquialism? You're blind as a bat. (laughs) Anoint your eyes. Get your eyes right. Get your eyes focused right. Then you'll be able to see. I want to leave you with five things I think you and I need to see. Things we need to see. Number one, we need to see that we are stewards. And we need to see that we are called to be faithful stewards. I'm not going to try to qualify stewards of what? Because in each of our lives, there's different things we are called to steward. But you and myself, we need to be faithful stewards of the Lord's blessings to us. And not just stewards, but faithful stewards. And the adjective is very important. Because, you know, what we do with the Lord's provisions in our life, and please don't think I'm only talking materially because I'm not. It also includes the message of the good news. It also includes reaching out to those that are hurt and ministering. But what we do with the Lord's gifts and His provisions that come into our life by His mercy, by His grace, and His, His abundance towards us, What we do with those things will tell a lot about our character and what kind of person we are. I still marvel at the Egyptians. I mean, the women, the Israelite women in Egypt who faithfully did what they were told and were willing to let it go. And it was a similar heart of the people that were around Yeshua in Luke chapter 8. The women who were ministering to Him out of their own resources, it said. What an investment, kingdom investment they made. Where are we investing? What are we doing with the great gifts, blessings the Lord has given us? So point number one, you are to be a steward, a faithful steward, faithful underline. Number two, be aware that pre-provision may come to you for God's purposes, not your own. Pre-provision. That's what we called in our household, pre-provision. Here the women asked for the gold and the silver and the jewelry and the clothing, and there they were still enslaved. But God had a purpose, and He provided that for them beforehand. That's called pre-provision. It was pre-provision for His purposes. And sometimes when we get pre-provision, we wonder where it comes from, why we have more than we, 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 we expected. Please don't think automatically. That's so that we can consume it upon ourselves. Think kingdom-wise. Lord, is this a pre-provision for something you are doing and you want me to be involved with? You want me to invest in pre-provision. The jewelry and the things the children of Israel took out of Egypt during the exodus was a pre-provision that eventually these things were needed for God's purposes to build what he wanted to be built. And many of us, we receive pre-provision and we consume it upon ourselves, and we don't even ask God, why did you give me this? And that brings me to Point three. Be open to God's direction when it comes to material things. Be open to Him. He would love to find us to be faithful stewards. that He can entrust things to us and know that we will not consume them upon ourselves. And that if He tells us this belongs to that person or, or give this to that or do this or do that, we will willingly let it go. The women in Israel of Israel, the Israelites in Egypt were able to do that. And they were praiseworthy for that action. The result was the tabernacle, was the mishkan, was the the mikdash. Be open to God's direction when it comes to material things. If you get a sudden windfall, don't immediately think, hey, this is for me. I challenge you. Ask God, Lord, why did I get this? Are you entrusting me this for a purpose that you know about and I don't? And then do what he says. And it is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to do what he says with what he gives us. And if we are open to being led of him, it opens up an amazing walk with the Lord if we are open to relinquishing whatever he tells us. And you might say, well, is that really scriptural, Rabbi Michael? Yes, Abraham was even told to offer up Yitzhak, Isaac his son, on Har Morion, Mount Moriah. You know what Abraham did? He did it. He actually got up early the next morning to do it, and he, he took he had three days journey, and he could have said, "I don't want to do this," but he did it all the way. And it's important, I think, to know that our responsibility is to do with what he what he says, with what he gives us. Here's point four of five. Very important point. Remember, your worth, your value is not determined by your material wealth, and listen, please, or your lack of it. That's not your value. When it comes to the cross of our Lord Yeshua and his sufferings, all humanity, all humanity, though impoverished in sin, and we were guilty of sin because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All humanity was impoverished in sin, degraded in sin, lost in sin. And yet, he, Messiah Yeshua, offered us tremendous riches well beyond the silver and gold of this life. Tremendous riches. I mean, we are talking about eternal riches. That moth, rust, thief, thief can't take away. That's what he's offering us. And it comes as we are saved by his grace through faith. He does something tremendous in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, that even though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Is he just speaking about material things here? Absolutely not, absolutely not. And number five, in conclusion, it seems like most of my points nowadays when I do points kinda has this point in it and I'm I'm gonna place it in it again this point, point five, because I think it's the real crux. It's a rubber meet the road point. Point five is to keep your heart with all diligence. You know, Proverbs 4, 23 says, guard your heart diligently. And then it says this, and I love how the tree of life version puts it, for from it flow, from it flow the springs of life. Flow, interesting in the tree of life version. And when you know when our heart is not right, the flow is cut off. The flow is impeded. The flow of the provisions of God in through our lives as stewards, something begins to happen there. Can he trust us anymore? Will he trust us anymore? Are we faithful stewards? And we, our lives, we we lessen and it becomes a trickle more than a flow. And in some cases, I've actually seen it over the years, it just stops completely, that flow in the heart. And when our heart is not right... And we're to keep our heart with all diligence. But when it's not right, we will find ourselves less generous, giving less and less. And we will justify our lack of generosity more and more, but only in our own mind. God who sees everything and knows everything and knows exactly what he entrusted to us and what he wants us to do with it. He's not fooled. And he can't be mocked. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. I commend this passage to us here this Shabbat morning. There is one who scatters, (laughs) yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. What a tremendous passage that is. And as is always the case in life and in eternity, Yeshua has the final word, and that's true here today. I want to leave you with this passage. They spoke nearly 2,000 years ago. It's found in Luke chapter 12. Begin with verse 15. Then Yeshua said to them, Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. Notice the next. It's a commandment, by the way. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of the material goods he possesses. And Yeshua told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man produced good crops. And he began thinking to himself saying, what shall I do? I don't have a place to store my harvest. And he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, Oh, my soul, you have plenty of goods saved up for many years. So take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And so often in scriptures, there's that three letter word, but. In verse 20, but God said to him, You fool. Tonight your soul is being demanded back from you, and what you have prepared, whose will that be? And Yeshua concludes this parable this illustration with verse 21, and we will conclude with this verse this morning. So it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in God. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for the examples we find in your word of how we are to live. We thank you for the example of Rapshaw Paul the Apostle, his writings, the inspiration you gave him by your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the example of those women of faith around Yeshua who supported his ministry and gave of their own resources. And we thank you for the Israelite women. who had the the audacity of obedience to ask the very ones that were over them, the Egyptian women, for their gold, silver, and clothing. And Lord, you caused them to have the favor to receive them and you gave them the grace to be able to relinquish those things which you gave to them. So Lord, we thank you this day for for the great benefit of your grace Extended to all of us in Messiah Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son. In Yeshua's name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place. North of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405- or email us at info at roshpinah.org Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.